the book of Exodus, chapter 3. We're going to read a few things this morning. Exodus, chapter 3. This is kind of just like a, a thought that the Lord put in my heart. And I just want this to be our motive this morning for why we're here. Exodus, chapter 3, verse 7. And the Bible says, the Lord said, this is the Lord talking to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land, or from the hand of the Egyptians, now catch these two words, to bring them up and to bring them out. To bring them up and out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now catch this. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. We love you and we thank you. And everybody said. As I was reading the scripture the, the other day, the Lord began to really minister to my heart and I felt him impressed strongly in my heart that in this promised season of expansion, huh? No, not yet. In this promised season of expansion, Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 describes and tells us as Victory Outreach, we are in a promised season of expansion. The Bible says, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. That word shall says that it's going to happen. It has already taken place. It is not something we have to sit around and just simply pray for. We don't have to ask God for it. We don't have to say, Lord, I wish this would happen. He is saying, he's telling us like he told Joshua. Joshua, do not be afraid because I am taking you down a road you have never been before. And I am going to take you down a road that you've never been before. But don't worry because I've crossed over before you. In other words, Joshua, I went ahead of you and I secured everything you're going to need when you're going to need it. I provided for you everything you're going to need when you're going to need it. Healing is there when you're going to need healing. Finances are there when you're going to need finances. Leaders are there when you're going to need leaders. Disciples are there when you're going to need it. What I need you to do is stay on the pathway that is going to lead you to what I planted for you. Are you hearing me? And so he's telling Victory Outreach, Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. It says this in Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. He says, I will go before you. I will, what does he say? Basically, I'm going to clear a path. I'm going to level the mountains. I'm going to cut through bars of iron. I'm going to do all these things that clear a path for you. And then when you get to where I want you to go, I'm going to give you the treasures out of darkness and the riches stored in secret places. Are you hearing me? There's the word again. God is saying, listen, you're in a promised season of expansion. Everything you need for the next level of your, of your life is waiting on you. So you don't need to spend your time asking me for it. You need to spend your energy getting to it. So that's why many of us are in a place this morning in our leadership or in our churches or in our ministries that we're coming in and you've been feeling like you're hitting a wall. You're hitting a wall because the wall 
feeling is the biggest weapon of the enemy to stop us from getting forward to the places that God wants us to be. Are you hearing me? The wall at times is created by many different things. It's created by, and we're going to talk about that this morning, about those things that are in our way. The wall is created by what God is still tolerating about you. Are you hearing me? So it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if you've been saved six years, six weeks, six months, 20 years, 30 years. Every single one of us this morning are in a place that God is speaking to you and telling you, I'm making you today for who I need you to be for tomorrow. So I got to deal with everything I've been tolerating about you for years because I've let it go as long as it's going to go. And if you're going to see the next level of your life, I got to change what you've been holding on to. Are you hearing me this morning? I got to change what you have called your personality. I got to change what you have called your mentality. I got to change what you have said. This is just the way I am. This is who I am. This is how I've been raised. This is how I'm functioning. God says, just because I've tolerated doesn't mean that I like it. Are you hearing me this morning? What happens is, is that we're coming to a place that the Lord says, okay, I've given you a promise. Growth. Expansion is yours. Your church going to the next level. Your leadership going to the next level. Your ministry going to the next level. It's yours. But this is the key. As we read this scripture this morning, sometimes the expansion or the pursuit of expansion or the desire for expansion becomes all about us going to the next level. And this is what the Lord says. The expansion is not for your next level. The expansion wasn't created for you to have the milk and honey. The milk and honey is a blessing of obedience, but the land and the expansion of your church is because I've seen the misery of hurting people. Are you hearing me? See, in the time, and sometimes we come, and even we're guilty as pastors, as leaders, as motivators, that we want to come and encourage and get everybody excited to want to go to the next level and to expand their life and go into new, the new territory. And what we do sometimes is we overuse God's going to bless you in the next level. But really, the Lord says here in Exodus that I didn't prepare the good and spacious land for you to have the milk and honey. I prepared it because... I have heard the cry of my people, and I have seen the misery of the hurting people. Are you hearing me? What it does is it gives us, uh, it sets a precedent for us as leaders. It, it aligns our motive. It says, yes, I want to go to the next level, but God, I don't want to get there for me. I want to get there because I want to see and respond to the hurting people that you're looking at. Are you hearing me? Have you ever felt like, man, you know, it's like you're, you're, in, you're in your church and you know you feel in your heart or you're in your ministry and you feel in your heart. God wants to grow it, but how do I get to it? And then sometimes we just really look and we hear something like this and it just reminds us. It reminds us like Pastor Sonny didn't birth this ministry. 
so he could have a good life. Are you hearing me? Pastor Sonny Sr. and Sister Julie didn't birth this ministry. God didn't birth this ministry in their heart in 1967 so that they could say, well, if I go and do this, I'm going to go to the next level of my life. No, no, no. This ministry for the last 40-something years that it has been around has been driven in the hearts of our founders. Why? When you get up there and you go to World Conference, you're going to hear him. He's going to talk to us, and he's going to start talking about the new countries we're going into. He's going to talk about South Africa. He's going to talk about the new territory. And everything you're going to hear, he's going to say, and there's people that are hurting in that city. There's a need in that city. The government has opened up their doors because they didn't know how to deal with the drug problem in that city. It has always been about the need to meet the needs of hurting people. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm saying that this morning, and I just want to really express that. Because when the Bible talks about it, it's like then it says something that just throws you off. It says something that just throws you off because it says, I'm bringing you in. I prepared a good and spacious land for for the people that are hurting, right? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But then what does he say? This is going to be your new home. But then he says, but where I'm taking you is currently the home of all your enemies. Are you hearing me? He says, I'm calling this your home, but your enemy is living in your home. Then we start to wonder and we start to think. It started making me think as I heard this. I started thinking about where all the difficulty is coming from, from getting established in the next territory of our lives. Why some of us are fighting so hard. Why some of us are straining ourselves so hard. Are you hearing me? Why some of us are going through so many oppositions right now. Why so many of us are going through this different battles is because that's what the enemy does. The enemy knows that God has prepared something for us. And what his job is to do is before you and I arrive is he sets up camp and he lives in the next territory of our life. To begin to bark us down and back us down and intimidate us so that we can't get in to the next level of our life. But the Lord has said that, listen, that territory already belongs to you. So this morning, listen, this is not even the, the lesson this morning. This is just the foundation of what we're talking about this morning. Is I want to encourage you this morning to say this in everything that we're going to hear today. Let your motive not be for you. Let the motive not be the milk and honey for the next level of our life. But let, as leaders, let the next level of our life be motivated by the desire to see hurting people reached. Are you hearing me? Because something happens when you and I dive into that and get aligned with that and the Lord begins to really, really see that, you know what, man, they're not working for themselves here. Not that there's anything wrong with wanting to be blessed. Not that there's anything wrong with wanting to go to new levels and certain blessings and certain things in our life. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But the milk and honey can be your motivation this morning. If you're here this morning and the milk and honey has been your motivation, it's time to shift things. It's time to say it can't be the milk and honey. It's got to be the misery and pain. It's got to be the misery and pain of other people. Can I hear an amen this morning? So what, this, th- today what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to start with the PowerPoint. 
And do we have the PowerPoint ready this morning? Okay. And what I want you to do is, uh, well, you know, better yet, let's do this. Where are the handouts? Okay. And, and the handouts are, are what? Building a healthy church atmosphere? Okay, let's go ahead and hand those out right now to everybody. Praise the Lord. What we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time and uh, we're going to spend a little time talking to, about two aspects here. What I'd like to do is before we actually, we can hold off on the PowerPoint. We're going to go to this lesson first, okay? I want you to turn to page one here. Or page two of building a healthy church atmosphere. Now, understand this this morning, leaders. You are the ones that God is raising up to build your churches. Um, the other day we were in a church and the pastor had about 250 people in his congregation, but he had like, he had almost 40 leaders and something didn't match. I asked him, I said, well, you have 250 people. And I said, you have 40 leaders. I said, now all these are all legitimate leaders, right? They're not workers. He said, yeah. I said, then how come you don't already have 400 people? He goes, well, I don't understand. I said, well, you mean to tell me that you have leaders that are leaders on your team? I said, but they don't have influence of at least five to ten people? Then who are they leading? I, are you hearing me this morning? We're going to get down to the, the, the grassroots of things here. Is that we have to begin to look at, and it doesn't mean that there's a system or a formula. We all know that you know some leaders will just have, but we're talking about building up our leadership to start reaching their level of influence, a higher level of influence. You know, we have, we, we have to, sometimes what happens with us is that we're in a place where we're building and we're building, we're growing, and then we have a core that starts to surround us. And then as that core begins to develop and that core begins to surround us, what happens is, is that does the question of, does the life of those people that are surrounding you in their ministries is it showing up in your church services? Some of you are Bible study leaders and you could have 20 people in your Bible study, but every church service you show up alone. So how are you helping us build the church? Are you hearing me? Some of us, we have people and we have a, you have a life group or you have, uh, you, you have, uh, you know, a, 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 you have a youth ministry or, you know, we just went the other day, we were at a church and the, the youth ministry had almost 200 people in their youth service, almost 200 youth in their youth. You know how many of them, how many people they had on Sunday morning? They had 160 people in their church service. So they were celebrating and then we came in and we just tore down their whole world. We said, you know, we just asked one question. How come there are no young people on Sunday morning? And they looked and they said, what do you mean? well we have our youth service I said well the gang wasn't birthed as a side ministry in the church 
it was a ministry that had its own service to reach the young people. But my pastor, along with myself and many others, began to, began to lay our lives down as a bridge to bridge young people over into the adults so that the adult ministry and the general church would begin to feel the, they would begin to feel the impact of the youth ministry. Are you hearing me? Pastor Sonny Sr., he didn't let us just have a successful. It was always. We would come and say, Pastor, we had 250 young people this Sunday night, or this Wednesday night. We had 400 young people. He would always hit us with the same question. Where are they Sundays? Other, where are they Sunday morning? I don't see them. Let me pull up a tithing report. Where are they on paper? Where are they in the tithes? Are you hearing me? So the thing that we are looking at this morning is that there is an understanding of motive. Why do we want to grow? Is because the Lord has seen the hurting and the misery of people. Then there also becomes the issue of responsibility that we are sharing the responsibility with our pastors to grow the church. And we're not just growing by activity, but we're looking for results. So we're asking ourselves, does the life of our ministry, that should be the question all the time on our minds as leaders. Does the life and the effort and the work of my ministry show up in our church? If it is not happening, then that has got to be the test and the challenge in which we begin to challenge ourselves to improve ourselves. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm not the main leader. I'm not the main Bible study leader. I'm not the main youth leader. I'm not the main this. I'm not the main that. We're not talking about ministry in the sense of a core ministry in the church. We're talking about your ministry. We're talking about who you are. We're talking about what you do, what we accomplished. Are you hearing me? And so when we're looking at that, we are looking at the goal, and, the, and there are certain things that we're battling this, this day. See, in this time, we have a promised season of expansion, but one of the things that we are dealing with right now in society as a whole is hopelessness is on the rise. Okay. Uh, there is hopelessness. When we went to Dublin, Ireland, they, uh, they had an overwhelming success, uh, 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 an overwhelming uh, suicide rate that was going up. It was going through the roof. They have young men, young ladies, 11 years old, that are heroin addicts. They start using heroin at 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. By the time they're 13, they're strung out living in the street already. Uh, and the thing over there is that they get all their drugs from the government for free. They get, they get methadone, they get heroin, they get all these different things that are there. And then they, not only that, but they get money from the government to live. Up to almost $200 a week. Are you hearing me? So, so what is happening though, but then they're wondering, they have this. But then on this side, suicide is on the rise. Are you hearing me? And so what we are dealing with here in America, by everything that we see, everything that you hear, when you're talking about the president, when you're talking about the wars, when you're talking about unemployment, when you're talking about all these things, all society is pumping into our people hopelessness. Hopelessness, all the time. You can't look at the news without hopelessness coming in that news. Murders and fear and this and that. 
Everything is coming. Uh, uh, it's picking at the people. You have people that you know are looking certain ways, and they're getting this work done and that work done, and this needs to be done. And then all the other people are feeling worse about themselves because they don't look like this. All the time, that is what we're dealing with. So on a weekly basis, in our Bible studies, in our church services, we have people that are not, we're not talking about the unsaved. We're talking about our members. Our members who are coming into our church services with a sense of defeat, discouragement, and hopelessness. So what happens when our leadership thinks the same way the members do? Are you hearing me? What happens when you're walking? Like, you know what happened when I said, I said right now, uh, those of you that feel you're hitting a wall, you feel like, you know what, your, your, your tank is empty, I want you to raise your hands. You didn't see what I saw because your hands are down, but everybody has their hands up. Amen. Everybody in here today, you raised your hands. So what does that tell me? I, I, you know, that tells me, that tells us that, hey, we're dealing with some real things that we got to overcome in order for us to be effective in helping build the church. Are you hearing me today? See, there, there are a lot of things. Sometimes we come, we want to come in, and we're going to see, you know, there's a time and a place for it, and, and all those things have their place. But it's not just about vision. It's not just about discipleship. It's not just about these times. Sometimes of what we're dealing with right now, in order for us to really be effective, we are going to have to start really relating to the practical things that the people are going through in order to get them through to the next level. Is that fair to say this morning? And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at this, this uh, lesson here this morning. And I entitled it Building a Healthy Church Atmosphere because I wanted to put it, the word atmosphere in there is because that's the one thing. If I just titled it Building a Healthy Church, it almost like it almost kind of like relates and connects more with pastors. But when you're talking about atmosphere, it's something we're all a part of. Can you hear me? Atmosphere is something we all can affect. We can all make an impact, and it's not just in the church. It's in our groups. It's in our ministries. It's in our life. It's in our homes. It's something that we can. And I believe that God has shown me through his word. He's given us five key areas that will really make an impact on the atmosphere wherever we go. And if we make an impact and look for those ingredients in our lives, in our ministry, in our churches, what we will begin to see is an atmosphere that is conducive to growth, an atmosphere that is prepared and readies us to grow at all times. Amen? Some of the things that we have to look at is let's look and start with a verse, a, a, a verse a, page number two where it says, a healthy church, okay? It says, have you ever been sitting in church and thought something just doesn't seem quite right? Have you wondered, is anyone else having the same thoughts I'm having? Have members or guests pointed out odd characteristics or behaviors that go on in your church? And have they, have they shared their concern for your church? It could be that the church in question is in an unhealthy state. Here is a list of characteristics of healthy churches and unhealthy churches. Keep in mind that two people in the same church can perceive the exact same thing differently. One could think it is terrible while the other one may think it is great. 
Matters of preference and opinion are one thing, but matters of spiritual health are another. Some churches become unhealthy, abusive, or even cultic over time, and there comes a point when you have to step back, evaluate the situation, and make changes necessary to bring health to weak areas of your church or your ministry. Uh, take the time to ponder these points and make sure that your church is creating a healthy environment for your members. If your church is healthy, great. I thank God for great churches out there that are loving God and loving people, but there are churches that can be controlling and cause hurt. As you read this, keep in mind that it really matters to God how his children are treated, and his desire for your church is to treat people with love and care. If you have ever wondered, is my church healthy? I hope while reading this list of characteristics, your questions will be answered. Let's start healthy. The church is a place of blessing and freedom. It is a place people want to go. Unhealthy. The church becomes a place of bondage. People attend more out of obligation rather than desire. It is a place people want to leave. Healthy. The church is built on loving God, loving people, and reaching the hurting people in our community and around the world. Unhealthy. The church talks of love, but the leaders and members develop an inward focus rather than reaching out and helping hurting people from all walks of life. Healthy. The leaders see all the people as valuable and care for them equally. Unhealthy. Favoritism is shown, and it's usually based on how much money a person gives or how much time they spend working for the ministry. Limited care or concern is shown towards the majority of the people. Healthy. The leaders are involved in the lives of the church members. They feel supported, encouraged, and equipped. Unhealthy. The leaders are not involved in the lives of the people unless it benefits the leader's ministry's purpose. There is a pecking order where one or two get all the attention and the rest are ignored, and all others do not feel important, supported, or encouraged. In fact, most of the members are never even recognized. Healthy. The leaders are genuinely concerned about the welfare of those they lead. Unhealthy, the leaders unintentionally begin to use control methods to move those they lead. Healthy, the leaders are concerned about loyalty to the people. The lead, unhealthy, the leaders are concerned about the loyalty of the people. Healthy, the leaders are secure and they welcome outsiders. Unhealthy, the leaders are insecure and are afraid of outside influence or disloyal members. Unhealthy, your personal boundaries are important and respected. You are allowed to make your own decisions and you are not looked down on or judged. Unhealthy, your personal boundaries are not taken into consideration and you often feel you're being taken advantage of. The agenda of the leader is more important than you or your needs. Unhealthy. The leaders are easily available and candid when you want to talk, and the leaders value your time more than others. Unhealthy. The higher the position leader, the less accessible he or she will be. Phone messages are not returned promptly, if ever, and conversations are kept to a minimum. Healthy. You are encouraged to question, and the leaders are not threatened, and communication is strongly encouraged. Unhealthy. The leaders insist on total, unquestioning obedience and submission to them. 
unhealthy are, are healthy. You are allowed to make your own decisions about how much you give. You feel that you can give freely out of your generosity and gratitude to the Lord. Unhealthy. Lengthy sermons are given each week on tithing, resulting in you giving out of, out of fear or obligation. Healthy. You are not judged by your church attendance. Unhealthy. If you fail to show up to church services or events, you are ignored or made to feel as though you have failed in some way. Healthy. Freedom abounds. Unhealthy. Rules abound. Healthy. The leaders talk positively, positively towards other churches and reach out to help other churches succeed. Unhealthy. The leaders talk negatively about other churches and they are focused inward. They have an us versus them mentality. Healthy. Fellowship is strongly encouraged. Unhealthy. The leaders place little emphasis on fellowship Work and ministry responsibilities become a substitute for most fellowship events. Healthy. There is a strong sense of unity among the leaders and members. Unhealthy. There are cliques resulting in many feeling left out and there is a lot of complaining and gossip. Healthy. When problems arise, the conflict is dealt with fast, with tact, with love, and with care. Unhealthy. Conflict is ignored and people are told to get over it. The real issues are not dealt with, and the leaders find themselves going to great length to appease big givers. Healthy, love and grace are subjects often taught. You leave the service with a sense of freedom, encouragement, and affirmation. Unhealthy, fear, legalism, and judgment are preached. You leave services feeling beat down and shamed into doing what leaders want you to do. You have the sinking feeling that you will never measure up to what your leader wants you to be. Or who your leader wants you to be. Healthy. The leaders build you up and they see you as a real person. As a precious child of God. Unhealthy. The leaders find themselves using guilt, fear, intimidation to manipulate you and keep you in line. Healthy. The church and the leaders serve the people. Unhealthy. There is an imbalance of service from the people to the leadership. Healthy. You are happy. Unhealthy, you are not happy. You are confused and may not be able to put your finger on what it is, but you know in your heart that there is more for you and your family. Healthy, God leads people to go there. Unhealthy, God leads people to leave there. Are you hearing me today? See, in this, this is a research that was done by the Church uh, Research Institute. And this was taken from a thousand churches. A thousand churches, it was done, a survey that was done on both healthy and unhealthy churches. And these were many of the things that came out. Now, when I came across that, I decided to put that in this lesson because at times, remember, this is not just simply about the pastors asking themselves this. These are things that us as leaders we must get in touch with these types of questions. We have to begin to ask ourselves, do the people feel this way in my ministry? Do the people feel this way in my group? Are these things that people are feeling? Because, see, what happens is this. 
we can begin to go to another level as a church and we can want to do this. And what happens sometimes is the leadership, especially uh, uh, when you have the, the leadership that is there supporting the pastor, it almost at times becomes a long look upward from leaders towards their pastor and very quick glances at the people. Are you hearing me? Catch this. You could begin to look and say, where's my pastor doing? What's he doing? What's she doing? What, 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 what do they want to accomplish? What, what's happening in their life? How can I serve them? How can I make their load easier? How can I help them? How can I hang around with them? How can I be close to them? How can I do this? How can I do that? And what happens is that we end up spending the majority of our life surrounding our leader and very quick moments of duty with the people and get back to where it's good. Are you hearing me? And what happens is we look and we start to say, you know, because let's face it, our pastors are the ones who are, they are the cool people. They are the decision makers. They are, they, they, man, they speak well. They, they love well. They, there's, a, there's an aura about them where they go. You could feel the presence of God. They're anointed, you know. They're, they, you know, it, it, it's always a great feeling to want. I, I still feel that way. Pastor Sonny Sr., man, uh, if I just hear he's in town, are you hearing me? I still want to be right where my pastor's at. I don't care if I just hear he's at the corporate office. I'll still want to just drive by and just get a look at him. Say, hi, pastor, hoping that he'll say, let's go to lunch. Are you hearing me? Right? I hope, I, I hope that he looks at me and says, Mondo, come on, come sit, sit right here. Let's go to lunch. And there's been many days where that little quick, hi, pastor, has turned into eight or nine hours of spending all day with him. And you end up over here, and you're in San Diego, and you're here, and you're there. And it's like, you, that's, how you, that's how you connect. Are you hearing me? But what happens is that sometimes if that becomes a motive, and that becomes a purpose, and that becomes a place where, we, where we're at and we're spending all of our time is looking that way towards our leaders. But then what happens is your pastors are building a, a, a culture. They're building a team. They're building men and women around them. And what they're doing is that they're modeling something with you involved in that that you're supposed to take back to your ministry and accomplish yourself. But what happens is the reason why we have 40 leaders and 250 people or 120 people or 150 people or leaders or churches have 50, 60 leaders and they only have 30 people is because of the fact is that it has become a cool thing in your church for the pastor to have all of his leaders around him and he has them there. But yet the leaders are not duplicating and they are not reproducing what your pastors have provided for you to grow and develop your not creating that atmosphere in your ministry. That ministry is not there. So see, what, what should be happening is your pastor should actually be like a little frustrated and be like, you know what? Pastor Dave should turn around to his leader and say, you know, no, listen, guys, I have a mandatory meeting Tuesday at my house. You guys got to be there. No excuses because he knows he has to put his foot down because if he doesn't, you guys are going to be spending so much time with your ministries, he's actually going to pull you away. If it's so easy that the pastor just says, hey, we're going to have me. Okay, yeah, I'm there. And you're just so easily pulled away. I would dare ask the question, how much of your life is being spent really building your ministry? Because I know for myself and my wife, when we were there, I had those talks with our pastor all the time. He was always saying, come on, 
I, come on, Philip, Pastor Charlie, come on, I, I, we need to meet. There'll be times we'll be sitting in the meeting and say, okay, when are we going to meet? I, 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 hello, I'm the pastor, we need to meet, guys. Because he would say, we need to meet. I'd say, Pastor, we got this. Pastor Charlie would say, oh, but Pastor, I got that on that night. Philip would say, oh, but Pastor, I got that on that night. He would end up getting frustrated. Okay, well, when are we going to meet? Hello, remember me? I'm the pastor. It wasn't a negative thing. It was a thing that he knew. These men were busy building their ministry. And as they were building their ministry, we had to come. So what it was is that if anything, at times, it was something that had to come in, and we had to make uh, uh, points and moments for him to come in and say, Pastor, listen, what I need you to do is we're growing. The choir's growing, or the, the Bible studies are growing on our team, or this is growing. What I need you to do is I need you to come and speak. You and Sister Kim, can you guys come in and speak and minister to the whole team? Because I think there's a lot of new people coming in that you need to really get to know. You really need to get in touch with. Are you hearing me this morning? See, so I, I, I'm saying this because this morning there has to be almost a breaking away in the sense of not from your leaders, but a breaking away from that mentality to begin to understand my pastor has me being a part of this to reproduce it where God has called me, where God has planted. Is everybody clear on that? Amen. Amen? So in doing that, there are five areas that we want to look that are going to help establish that. Number one, exaltation. Exaltation is one of the areas of the five areas that we want to talk about today that has a direct impact in the atmosphere of building a healthy atmosphere. Okay? Now, let me just tell you this. Now, look at me. When you talk about Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, it's important that we understand exaltation has nothing to do with music. Okay? Understand that this morning. We're not talking about music. We're talking about a surrendered life of someone who understands their eternal purpose for existing was made to worship the Lord. When you look at the Bible, you look at many, many different stories. You can look at uh, uh, the woman with the alabaster jar. She's one of the most popular worship stories in the word of God. But there in that story, there was no musicians. There was no singers. There was no song being sung. But her exaltation was clear and clearly identified and accepted by the Lord. Are you hearing me? So what is that telling us? That tells us that in the, in, when we're looking at exaltation, we're talking about giving God his proper place. And when you look at it, you look and say, well, number one, it's important to God. Number two, it's important to our ministry. And number three, it needs to be important to us. And number four, if it's important to God, important to our ministry, and important to me, then it should be a part of my discipleship and my training in the hearts of the people, in the lives of the people. How do we know it's important to God? Well, when, when, the, when the Lord wanted to grow Israel, right? He wanted to grow Israel. Israel was a small nation, a small group of people. God said, I want to grow it and make it into a mighty nation. He didn't choose an ordinary king. He chose a worshiping king. He chose King David. He went, he didn't even, and normally, if it was Saul was the king, it would be someone in Saul's 
it would be some, one of Saul's sons or something that would have been the king and next in line. But God skipped the blood. He, he skipped over Saul and he went and put it, the mantle on David because he knew that I need a, a, a man that is gifted in the sword and the song. I need a man that spends time with me. I need a man who hears my voice. I need a man that will give me all the credit. I need someone that will give me all the honor. I need someone that will put me in of everything. I need someone that has faith in me. I need someone who trusts me. And he's saying, I know I can trust this guy because this guy has spent all his time worshiping me when he was tending to the sheep. And as he was tending to the sheep, there was times I gave him a challenge with the bear and he trusted me to deliver him out of the hand of the bear. And there was a time that he trusted me to deliver him out of the hand of the lion. And then he went and I graduated him to Goliath. And on that day when he faced Goliath, he went up against him, not in his own name but he defended my name with some stones in his hands and he went and on that day I graduated him because he may have killed Goliath with a sling but on that day he grabbed that sword and he cut his head off and that day he let go of the sling and now the sword was glued to his hand from that day forward are you hearing me this man I've been watching him I've been looking at him and how he lives this is a man I can trust with growth this is a woman I can trust with growth because I've been watching her and she gives me the credit when I'm due the credit. She gives me the honor when I deserve the honor. She gives me the praise despite what she's going through. Are you hearing me this morning? And so the Lord says, listen, when I want to grow Israel, I'm not going to choose a regular king. I'm going to choose a worshiping king. Then what do you do with Joshua? Joshua, I'm going to give you the next territory of your life. I promise this to Moses and everybody but they chose to not deal with what I was tolerating about them. Moses, I talked to him and told him, speak to the rock, and he hit the rock. And God says, Moses, you're not going in. You're not going into the next level. You're going to die in the desert with everybody else. Why did God do that? Because the same anger that was in Moses and caused him to strike the rock when he should have spoke to it was the same anger 40 years ago that was in him that caused him to kill the Egyptian. And God says, you mean to tell me 40 years in the desert you still haven't done and dealt with the thing in your life that I've been talking to you about? You've been neglecting it and letting me tolerate it for 40 years and now you want to get to the next level still having that in you? No, you're not getting into the next level with that because you will ruin my plans for my children. But what happened? He told Joshua, you come up. You're the man. You're taking them into the next territory of life. You're going to do it. And he says, you know what? I want you to do it this way. Forget about the army. Forget about the battle for right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you around Jericho. And Jericho is the key city to possessing Canaan. And if you possess Jericho, you'll have Canaan. But what I'm going to do is I want you to march. When you march around that city of Jericho on the seventh day, I want you to give the biggest, loudest shout. I want it to be an act of exaltation that is going to get you into the next level of your life. 
And the reason why I'm doing it that way, Joshua, is because when you, when things get difficult for you, when you're having to fight the Hittites and the Perizzites and all the other people that have been living in your territory, all your enemies, I want you to remember when it gets difficult, it wasn't you or your army or your efforts that got you into the next level. It was you praising me. It was you trusting me to get you in. He said, I want you to shout. And when you shout, you'll always remember that shout. Because when the enemy comes against you, you'll remember, oh, I remember the shout. I remember, just like David did. David went in, he built, he said, no, 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 it wasn't us, it was God. It was God going. So then you look at that, you, even in Jesus' life, right? When Jesus was going to go, he wasn't just going to the cross so that we would be cleansed of all of our sins. He also went to the cross to birth the ministry of the church. It was a twofold purpose, right? I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to cleanse them. My blood is going to be shed. I'm the perfect lamb. I was going to shed my blood for all the sins of all mankind. And he went. But then the Bible also says, unless the seed goes into the ground and dies, it goes into the ground alone, a single seed, right? He went, presented his body as a seed. It is finished. Died, he rose again, his death and resurrection birthed the ministry of the church. Power of God fell upon all the apostles in a prayer meeting. They began to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit fell upon them, and after that, the churches started being birthed. Right? Peter became the first that took the mantle and started building the church. Peter was narrow minded, he had a focus, he wasn't too open to other people outside the Jewish custom. And he was a little bit focused more on reaching a ministry for the Jews. And the Lord says, that wasn't the purpose of my church. It was for the entire world. So I'm going to have to raise up Paul. And Paul rose up with a ministry for the Gentiles, which we are all part of today. Right? But go back to the day when Jesus was going to go to the cross. And he was going to die. And the human side of him, he was all God and all man, said, I'm about to go and experience this great pain. So all I want is a good meal, and I want to be close to my friends before I go. He went over his friend's house, and there he was there. He had the disciples with him, and he walked in, and they were preparing food, and Mary came out with her alabaster jar. And she sat next to his feet, and she began to worship him. She began to pour her love upon him. She began to exalt him without music, without song, without any instruments. And then what happened? Judas was over here, and he says to this woman, wasting that money. What a waste. And Jesus hears him and says, Judas, leave her alone. This woman prepared my body for its burial. It was an act of exaltation that went before the birthing and the expansion of the church. It was the act of exaltation that went before the expansion of the territory for the Israelites. It was a, a worshiper, an act of several acts of exaltation that grew Israel into a mighty nation. And then, years later, God birthed a ministry of Vicki Outreach. 1967, 
And there we go. Our vision takes off. And God puts it in the heart of our family. I'm going to give you five E's to value in this ministry and everything you do. These things will never change. Your methods may change, Sonny. Your strategies may change. Certain things may change. Systems may change. But these things will never change. And right at the top of it all, I'm going to put the number one that matters to this ministry most is to exalt me in everything you do and before you do anything. I want to be exalted in victory outreach. Are you hearing me? Then you go to Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. And you look and it says, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. Right? Or it says, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch the tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. But then look at 54.1. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate women of, than of her who has a husband. So there's the command. Before the expansion comes, exaltation will precede expansion. Before your ministry grows, exaltation will precede expansion. Before your church grows, exaltation will precede expansion. When we come in and we want to make an impact on our atmosphere and we look and something's wrong and we don't know it, lift your hands and just begin to say, God, I worship you. Even though I don't know what's about to happen, or I don't know what's taking place, I begin to give you your place. Your priority here. That's why in every service, in every meeting, in every training we do, we start off with worship. We come and we spend. It's not a routine. It's not a formula. It's not something. It's real. It's us saying, God, if you're going to grow and advance your people today, it's not going to happen until we give you what belongs to you. Are you hearing me today? So what does that say? That, that means that we have to today challenge ourselves and look how do you value exaltation how have you valued exaltation how have you transmitted exaltation how have you shared it to your people are you hearing me or has it been that you have been functioning with exaltation with simply a music only mentality think about it for a moment are you hearing me this is the time for us to begin to evaluate. And look, because if you look at your lesson, it says there, it ensures an anointed presence of God that provides and stabilize, a stabilized, settled, and secured atmosphere for the church. Okay? Let's move on to the next one. Very, very important that we understand. Now let's talk about, go to the next page, page 8. We're going to kind of go back and forth here. Remember, we were, it, it, we were talking a little bit ago about how the enemy is flooding our people's lives with hopelessness. So the answer to hopelessness is expectation. As leaders, you and I are ha going to have to position ourselves to become experts in raising the expectation of people. In this time, more than ever, 
That means that as a leader, you are going to have to learn, as well as all of us have had to learn, you can't wear your emotions on your sleeves. You can't throw the whole day out because you're having a bad day. You can't come into church looking defeated, discouraged, hoping someone's going to pray for you. As a leader, before you come to any church event, you should have had church before you got there. You should have already been on your knees. If you knew that you had limited time, then take a lunch at work and seek God and say, God, you know the day I'm having, and I have the, I gotta go from church, I gotta go from work right to the church tonight. But I can't go in with the depression or with the heaviness that I've been feeling. I need to get a hold of you today because when I get to church, when I get to my ministry, I need to be like in a position to raise and elevate the expectation of your people. So what does that mean? That, we, that means we have to identify hopelessness. Sometimes you don't identify hopeless because you're hopeless. Are you hearing me? So it actually looks normal. <laughs> but when you're excited and when you're stirred and when you got the victory, you can always identify hopeless people. You can always spot and see. You ever be talking to your pastor and then they're talking but they're kind of talking to you and then they kind of have an eye over here at the same time. And they're talking to you and they're kind of away. And then all of a sudden that person walks right by them and says, oh, excuse me, how you doing? Boom. And you see, why? Because they spotted hopelessness way back there. And they were waiting for him to walk. And as soon as they walked, they stepped up to it and said, this is my job. This is my time. Let me raise that expectation. How you doing? Oh, I, you know, I know that your, your, your husband died or your grandmother died. How's everything going? Your, your wife's in the hospital. How's everything going? Well, listen, let me pray for you. Let me, I want to talk to you. I want to just encourage you. What, what room is she in? Let me go and visit. All those things are meeting people's needs, yes. But what they're doing is they're raising the expectation. See, it's very important that we understand this. Listen, two things that are important to expansion. Momentum and expectation. Leaders... Pastors and leaders are responsible for creating momentum. People are responsible for creating expectation. When those two worlds meet together, they produce expansion. So what happens is if you have leaders that are not aware of where expect expectation is not, and don't know how to do it, what happens is you're making your pastors work doubly hard. Because now the pastor has to not only create momentum, but he's got or she's got to produce expectation. When you, your responsibility is being a connection to the people, you and I, as leaders in the church, should be monitoring, engaging expectation and wherever it is not, raising expectation because the pastor's responsibility is creating and protecting momentum of the church. So when they're coming and they're preaching and when they have leadership meetings and when they're doing the things that they're doing, they're doing it to further the momentum. Listen, I'll tell you this. You know what makes Pastor Sonny and Sister Julie, in my opinion, the greatest leaders I've ever met? It, 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 many could say, well, it's their speaking, or they could say it's their love, or it's their heart. They could say it's their vision. They could say all of that could be true, and all that could be said. But in my opinion, you know what makes them the greatest leaders ever? Is that God gave them momentum. 
1967 in a little neighborhood right there on Glass Street. And Pastor Sonny and Sister Joy have protected and nurtured that memorial. And they didn't let it die. And they kept fanning it. And they kept listening to God. And then they got leaders that helped them fan it and protect it. And then those leaders started creating expectation in people's lives. People that had dope fiends for sons and drug addicts for daughters and ex-prostitutes. And then they raised expectation in those family members and for those dope fiends and for those drug addicts and for those prostitutes. And then they got, and then all along, Pastor Jenny and Sister Julie were protecting their momentum and protecting their momentum. And now 40-something years later, how many years exactly is that? 45? 45 years later. That momentum has spread throughout the entire world. And now other pastors in other cities have that momentum. And they're watching over it. And they're protecting it. And they're looking over it. You know what? You talk to any pastor who has lost momentum in their church. And they will tell you. Or any leader who has lost momentum in their ministry. And let them tell you how difficult it is when you lose it to get it back. Are you hearing me? And what God has called us to do as leaders is he has called us to begin to be aware of our responsibility is that if I as a leader fan the flame of expectation, I'm giving my pastor the room for them to fan the flame of momentum. And when they come in, your pastors come in, and they come in, and, and, and they come in, and they're ready to speak to the church. And see, every time they come to speak, they're not coming to bring the church up to par. It is the heart of our pastors to take the church to the next level. But what happens is, is that when we as leaders are not doing our job, we are forcing them in a place to barely bring the church up to par. Instead, it was a wasted Sunday that should have been designed for the next level, but it was used to get people back up to par. And so the music, at times, it comes in, and then when the exaltation is weak, the music could be weak, and the atmosphere could be weak, then what happens is, is that this here, this here is designed to be able to annihilate the junk that accumulates in a life throughout the week. This music, this atmosphere should be flowing into the seats and it should destroy doubt. It should destroy fear. It should destroy dismay. It should destroy depression. It should, it should cause people to get saved and give their lives during the worship service. It should want them to get over their sickness and receive their healing right there in the presence of God. That they say, I refuse to give in to this. No, no, no. This disease is not going to get in the way of the new seed of God in my life. And what happens is, is that when everybody, then you've got leaders that are there in the parking lot and you got leaders at the greeting door and you got ushers that think this way and children's ministry that thinks this way an information booth that thinks this way a music ministry that thinks this way altar workers that think this way and what has happened is everybody is looking to destroy hopelessness and breathe life into people then the pastor comes on Sunday morning and says open up your Bible and hearts are ready for the new seed they are ready Ready to go to the next level. They're not satisfied with par. They Par would be a loss to them. They're saying, I need something more than what I walked in here with. You see, that's you. 
That's me. I'm with you. My calling, her calling, my family calling. We are called to be Levites. And as a Levite, I have two functions in life. Take care of the priest, a priestess. Take care of the priest and take care of the church. That's what I do. Everywhere we go, I've given my life to do those two things. Take care of my pastor and our founder. And now that we're evangelists, every church we go to, that becomes a pastor that we train people to take care of. And as we do that, we train leaders. Okay, take good care of here. Don't overly spend your time here and neglect what God has called you to do. Does that make sense? See, this has got to be something that you and I uh, have in us because there's an element of faith. See, the enemy is trying to backdoor the faith of God's people. He's not coming at them straight right now. He's not coming at the people, just coming and attacking their faith. He's coming to remove hope and bring hopelessness because if he plants hopelessness in the lives of the people, the Bible says faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, why do you tend to your faith? If there's hopelessness in your life, you don't need faith. Someone that's hopeless, you watch them. They go from sitting in the front, sitting in the back. They go from worshiping to not worshiping. See, there's a, it's in us. And once you lose hope, you don't need to feed or tend or exercise your faith. That's why people stop coming to church. That's why they stop giving. So the Lord is saying, listen, the enemy's coming. Try to hit your faith. Why? Because the world is increasingly about to get worse. Wickedness in the world is guaranteed by the highest authority, which is the word of God in life, to increase. There is a current of evil. There is a wave of a, a tsunami of evil that is about to hit the world. And over here are the people in our churches that are still living with everything that God has been tolerating about them. Leaders that at times we are not raising the expectation. We're struggling and we're thinking that I've been getting by all these years being this way. I'll continue to get by. But what God is saying, I'm trying to strengthen your faith because when evil hits, you're going to have to have the strength to stand against the current of evil and continue to move. Because if you don't, you'll be swept away and you'll be a part of the word of God when it says there'll be a great falling away and men will become lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Are you hearing me today? And so what the Lord is saying, listen. I need these. If you look at all these principles, they're all things that tie us to God. Every single one. Exaltation, right? Expectation. What is expectation? Expectation is a faith lift. It's an encouragement. It's a, it, it's a life. It's, it's been speaking into lives of people. It, it's, it's recognizing 
It's recognizing the things that God has done in their life and reminding them of that. Are you hearing me today? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Before well, This is what we're going to do. Before we go any further, how many are getting something out of today? Yeah. Okay. Before we go any further, why don't we go ahead and we'll take a break and get, you know, we can get some water and, you know, uh, refresh ourselves a little bit and uh, we'll be back in five minutes. Amen.